From the very core of each of them, their ancestors seemed to cry out in articulate voices. Right then, they screamed an alarm from times before symbols and language could depict such things that hunted and meant murder. Such is the reaction many people have to films inspired by H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of H.P. Lovecraft inspirations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be talking about 2017's The Ritual, directed by David Bruckner and written by Joe Barton, based on the novel by Adam Neville, uh, from which the quote that I read originates, because uh, The Ritual, not a super talky movie. Um, no, which I think is a positive, but we'll, we'll get into that. You know. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, well, I mean, it's, it is talky in the sense of many angry guys screaming fuck at each other. Yes. <laughs> Which is what we do, you know? Yeah, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm not criticizing that by any means, but when it comes to <laughs> um, pulling a quote dealing with existential dread to put on an intro, uh, the ritual kind of lacking in that sense. So I did pull that from the novel, which I did not know this movie was based on the novel, having seen it before until watching it again. Um, yes, I forgot. I've actually forgot it was it was based on a novel, too. Yep, um, and fittingly enough, in 2012, that novel, The Ritual, won the August Derleth Award for Best Horror Novel. August Derleth, a contemporary uh, of H.P. Lovecraft mm. as well. So, fun little synergy there. Yeah. Um, now, not, not everyone that, that Lovecraft corresponded with or was contemporary uh, contemporaries with was a, you know, a cosmic horror guy. Lovecraft was also... Um, you know, a, a contemporary of and friend of, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy that created Conan the Barbarian. Oh, Robert E. Howard, yeah. Right, thank you very much, Robert E. Howard. So, And um, from what I understand, there's some touches of Lovecrafting horror in Conan the Barbarian, but I've never watched or read really any iteration of that. I, I mean, th- that, that'd be a cool thing to talk about maybe one day, like some of the adaptations of Conan. Like, because, yeah, there's, there's a bit of, um, he battles a lot of tentacle type demon things throughout okay. his uh throughout i guess you could say his career but um <laughs> conan's got a weird weird arch of like character development because you know from the novels then marvel comics you know going like oh you know what we can actually get and make a comic book series out of this and make a lot of money and then stan lee didn't want to do it at first but mm-hmm. roy thomas who to me will always be an unsung hero of marvel comics where he actually thought outside the box and going, you know what? We gotta, even though we have these cool characters, we can go outside and get other characters. So like, that's why Star Wars came about with Marvel Comics at first because Roy Thomas said, "I think this is gonna be really big," oh. and Stanley kind of looked like, "No, that's not gonna be big." <laughs> Stanley wasn't always like on top of things, and luckily he had people that yeah. worked for him that said, "Hey, uh, come on!" And like Conan was one of those characters that. You could just go anywhere with it. You didn't even have to always adapt the books. You just go, okay, he's fighting a fucking barbarian horde somewhere. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, and then Dark Horse having, you know, Conan for years and then they coming back to Marvel. And even up until recently, Conan was part of a secret group of the Avengers. Really? Yes. Conan with Wolverine and which was actually, before we get back to the movie, one of my favorite what if stories was what if Conan the Bar- Barbarian fought... Well, it was basically, what if Conan the Barbarian was in the Marvel Universe? This is before... Because he was a separate entity. But what if he was yeah. inside you know, Marvel 616 Universe? Mm-hmm. And of course, the one battle was Wolverine and Conan, which was yeah. as badass as you think it would be. Like, just guy right. with a big sword versus a guy with, you know, snicked and, you know... And it's just blades and lots of limbs getting cut off. So... Sure, of course. Um, well, yeah, but Robert E. Howard's a character. I mean, again, Robert E. Howard also, um, you know, just one of those contemporaries that was was he also a racist though? Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, some stuff in Conan is kind of racist too. So I'm kind of thinking maybe a little bit. I, I would listen. I'm I kind of a lot of white <laughs> fiction writers in that time. I'm yeah. sure. Um, were... They didn't think they were racist, but they were, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just browsing um, Robert E. Howard's Wikipedia page, and yeah. there is a subheader for 
criticism, um, but it seems to be more, let me see, bah, 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 aping other people's ideas for his own work. Okay, okay. Um, so ripping off, you know, Tarzan, ripping off Lovecraft, ripping off other writers well, for his own. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, when you read Conan and, and a lot of other, like, because he also, um, Howard also did Solomon Kane, I think, was his other okay. character, if I remember, but Edgar Rice Burroughs was was robbed a lot because you you remember Edgar Rice Burroughs did both Tarzan and John Carter of Mars, mm. so he went the gamut of like you know jungle savagery type of fiction, and then he went to like oh okay crazy space shit you know so Conan's kind of in between. Mm -hmm. You have like the savagery, but also weird alien to like you know humanity type stuff, which again comes up with the whole. Lovecraft or Lovecraft adjacent stuff. So, yeah. Um, now, I, I have just, if you Google <laughs> Robert E. Howard racism, uh, <laughs> are, and I, I will include uh, this link in the show notes please. if people want, but there there is an uh, a blog article from a guy named Jason Sanford, who is a uh, 2022 Hugo Award finalist for wow. Best Fan Writer, okay. has a blog entitled, uh, or this, this was from, and this is from September 20th, 2010, uh robert e howard was a racist deal with it um oh, okay so apparently he has a an infamous short story called black canaan um but uh yeah i'll put that in the show notes i don't really want to to read it because i am not invested in robert e howard's work and as i kind of right. said if you were a fiction a white fiction writer from that time i just assume yeah there's there's a there's a degree of racism whether it's the explicit kind or whether it's just the um kind of inherited one where you just are you have views inside of you because you were born and raised in a less than diverse environment basically exactly uh, but uh yeah i know we, we've just we haven't even really started talking about the movie we've just been talking about I, again the, the movie hasn't it's not racist at all so it's kind of funny we're getting into these weird tangents <laughs> yeah I, I mean you know it, it, you if you want to criticize for like hey it's an entirely white cast understandable but it you know it is it is a bunch of white well no it's not because phil no. is a is a is a person of color as an actor but it, they are yeah. they are also the the film takes place in sweden which is well you know it, no and the funny thing is this film proved to me when i watched it initially on netflix years ago swedish hillbillies but that's all i'll say until later on <laughs> yeah <laughs> i never i never realized sweden had hillbillies but right. this film no, shows I, it i mean how much of the of the the geography is probably just like oh expanse and forest and that kind of stuff so it just makes sense of course um, yeah like yeah i mean it's beautiful but also horrifying yeah you know? and from what i understand sweden is also kind of grappling with its own rise in kind of neo-Nazi white supremacy, which <sighs> makes sense if your country is overwhelmingly white. But yeah, um, yeah. One, one other fun point of synergy, I guess. So Conan the Barbarian, kind of Lovecraftian, obviously a contemporary adaptation starring Jason Momoa, who also starred in Game of Thrones mm. and within the world of Westeros, also some Lovecraftian inspirations from George R. R. Martin. So, you know, there's, there's yeah. kind of a fun little Venn diagram in there, which at the center of it is uh, Jason Momoa. Obviously. And, and you know what? The, the Jason Momoa Conan, I'll be, I'll be one to say not bad. I wish it actually, yeah. that, see, I wonder if that's one that um, disenfranchised podcast actually covered because. Oh yeah. Cause that had potential, but again, that's before Jason Momoa was more, popular as you could say you know because i remember going to see that and going oh this is pretty good and then like it bombed and i'm like yeah i am like i'm like i i guess i don't have taste compared to like the masses because a lot of films that i tend to like tend to be bombs you know like <laughs> oh man that could have been really good oh man but again conan's a hard character now like like i don't know do do people want to see savage you know like a savage like you know man like fighting other savages i don't think so i mean i mean again unless it's game of thrones game of thrones then oh all the money in the world well and it you know it, it does go to show that there is a a limit to established properties that people care about conan yes. barbarian didn't do well john carter from mars obviously tanked um that's another, I've been one. Told that's another one uh, john carter of mars i revisited that during the beginning of the pandemic liked it much more on a second yeah. like viewing years later i go oh this had potential 
I, I've been told by many people, including my wife, that I would um, that I would really <clears throat> enjoy that movie. I think you would. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I'm I'm not crazy about Taylor Kitsch as a. Um, no, he's he's like the worst part of the film, but he's he doesn't. He's you remember he Taylor Kitsch. It was funny. You had Taylor Kitsch, you had Sam Worthington, and a few other like, you know, blocks of wood that came out mm-hmm. around the same time, but. In that film, I have to say Taylor Kitsch, I he kind of he kind of proved to me, oh, you, you actually have a little bit of a personality, like like you you can harness it maybe, but you ain't you ain't no gambit, but uh, I'll give I'll um, give you John Carter. Well, and uh, once again, some synergy here. <laughs> John Carter, created by Edgar Rice Burroughs, yep, uh, yep. who was a contemporary of Lovecraft, a corresponder yep. with Lovecraft, and who also. Uh, created Tarzan, yep. who Robert E. Howard is criticized of ripping off. So. Isn't it funny? Yeah, it's like all this mm-hmm. weird shit. Like, like all these authors, like were around the same time. Because remember, that was the time of pulp, pulp novels, yeah. like pulp, yeah, 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 magazines, and like, which is actually cool because, like, that's kind of like what I grew up like reading, like these, and not realizing what they were. You know, like pulp mm-hmm. no- novels, and like, oh, and again, that's like in Italy they had the the giallo you know like yep. the giallo were the trashy novels that then got adapted or became a film franchise you know so it, it's cool that then again you know when we look back at lovecraft and how i guess little little he made while writing like mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't make millions from writing like same thing with you know edgar Allan poe like a lot of them died either penniless or just not well to do which is just funny you look at the the people that took from those authors years later and like you know look at stephen king he doesn't have to do anything for the rest of his life but he loves to write so he keeps on doing yeah. it and mm-hmm. like you know all, all these other authors you know even like people even though they trash dean Koontz, you know i grew up liking T- dean Koontz. you know even though the, the funny joke is oh he's stephen king but like without the uh, nuance but <laughs> i've <laughs> but i've always liked but but again I love that kind of sensibility. And that's kind of how I feel the ritual. I, I want to read this novel, but I kind of feel like it's kind of like that kind of a novel where it has these ideas and, you know, we get the film adaptation where we've got into, but kind of like, it's almost like, I feel like it would be like a, a quick read. And I, and I don't mean that as, as a bad thing. I think that's actually a positive where, you know, the whole thing, like, you know, you take a book that's like 300 pages, but you could read it in an afternoon on the beach while just relaxing. And I feel like mm-hmm. this has that feel to me. Like, even though, like you said in the beginning, not a lot of talking, but again, it's the mood. It's a lot of cursing, a lot of like anger, a lot of pent up rage about the initial act in this film, which got got me again while watching it again because you know growing up you know in new york city and seeing violence and seeing shit happen in front of me i you know like we'll get into that really soon but like i can understand the character of luke and Mm -hmm. why he doesn't jump in to protect his friend you know yeah um no this move this I really like this movie. I, I, I wouldn't yeah. go so far as to say it was it was great, but I, I think it's very effective, especially in uh, in its screenplay kind of setting up in the first third. Like, here are our characters. Here's going to be the simmering tension right below the surface. And then when you introduce them into this world in which that is so much <laughs> shit beyond them going on, it's kind of yeah. like, you, you know, you kind of get a... a pretty clear sense as to how things are going to unravel and unfold once they are out of their element. And even just something as simple as when they early on in the film, when they kind of like climb to the top of that hill or mountain, whatever it is. And they have the little, like the little makeshift uh, memorial that they set up for their friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a, a moment where I believe Dom says it shouldn't have happened and Luke exactly. looks over it, and, and there's the rack focus, and you kind of get sense like you you know what the subtext is there. I love it, and it, it it's so well done because, and again, all these actors are like perfectly 
perfectly placed and perfectly casted where you see the dynamics of everyone like and you see that simmering um almost like you know it's like hatred mm. like like i hate you because you didn't fucking do anything for for him and you're thinking mm-hmm. but what would you have done in that same situation but at the same time it's easy to judge someone for not trying to fight for a friend that gets murdered for for you know something so trivial as his wedding ring which mm-hmm. and it's it's such a I remember watching this initially, like roughly when it did pop up on Netflix, I was like, oh, this sounds good. And I really liking the actor Rafe Spall and knowing him from, and it's funny, randomly rewatching Shaun of the Dead a few nights ago, one of the first nights of my vacation. And like, oh my God, he was so chubby and like young in that film as the guy that works with him at the the, uh, store. Oh, yeah. yeah. He got red on you. Oh, that's who he is. It's funny because yeah. I okay, so so I had seen him before, whereas my my brain immediately went to he's the the reporter at the at the uh, at the end of um, Life of Pi. Like he's the guy interviewing, you know. See, I know him from the Edgar Wright films. I know him from Shaun of the Dead, and then like Hot Fuzz, yeah, and then Hot Fuzz as one of the Andes, the Andes <laughs> with, the, yeah. with the mustache, and like, but it's funny, like he has, Rafe Spall has like had this weird career where he. Started out like in like Shaun of the Dead and other stuff, and like he's become this like really good dramatic actor since mm-hmm. then. And it's, it's you would never have thought that initially when you see where he came from. But again, a lot of the, a lot of these actors, you know, they can be funny and they can also be dramatic. And this film, like he's really like he's the anchor in this film, at, as well as because because he's not like you don't look at him and go, oh, he's an asshole for not protecting his friend. You you look at him as like, oh man, he's really tormented by this, and he's again like Lovecraftian things. If the friend didn't die, they wouldn't have gone to this place, <laughs> and all these events wouldn't have happened. Because they even make the joke when at the little memorial, I think he's like they said, oh, we wouldn't be here right now. We'd be somewhere like in Ibiza or something, just partying, and he he would hate it. But he, would, but he would go along with it because mm-hmm. that he was that type of friend that said, well, I want to do what all, all my friends want to do. I just want to yeah. be with my friends. And again, they say he was the best of us. And again, we didn't get much of his background because he's only briefly in it and he gets killed and then that's it. Mm-hmm. But he, he was like the friend that connected them together. And once he's dead, they're only kind of sticking with, with each other just to do it almost almost seems if this shit didn't happen like you know like the mur- you know like the horribleness this would probably be the last time they would have all hung out together i believe yeah yeah you know? uh, because yeah they, they even have that uh dom and him even have that that little conversation at the beginning like you know is is it something like is it just getting harder for us to have fun when we get together or that kind of a thing like yeah, yeah you do get the sense of this was kind of going to be a a last hurrah for for friends whose lives are going in different directions and i believe yeah, in the book that it's based on, mm-hmm. that that is that is sort of the tension. I don't think there is uh, that friend who died. The tension is more, I guess, from the fact that the Luke character, his life has not taken off like everybody else's has. Right, he's more um, like the loser, right? Like it's kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. Which which you you do kind of you get a little bit of that sense from them because, you know, he's, you know, he's sort of like, what a horrible life this guy has. Like, oh yeah, beautiful wife and kid. What a horrible life. <laughs> right. Uh, like beautiful wife, beautiful kids, you know? And like, yeah. again, but we do get that. Cause like, remember the initial act is the other three are like, well, actually all of them don't want to go out. Like they want to go home. Oh, it's a school yeah. night. It's a, I got to go out to work. Oh, come on. Let's drink some more. Mm-hmm. And again, it remind it, it kind of reminds me, which is funny of the world's end. Where you have, I was just going to think that. Right, yeah. right, no, and, and 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 rewatching that, that like that film was like my least favorite of the Cornetto trilogy. But rewatching that, it's like it's a really like tough story to tell. Where how can you like this character? But by the end, you understand. Like he he never grew up. He mm-hmm. and again, this is what Luke feels like. He still wants to be eighteen years old. 
partying with his friends and not giving mm-hmm. a fuck about life. But they're much older now. Like, they have families. They have kids. We can't do it. And it almost feels like they're just doing it just to placate him. But they're outgrowing him. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, you know, it's a different dynamic when the friend dies and, like, they all have to do it. But, like, none of them wanted to go to this, like, middle of Sweden on a fucking trail. Like, cold. <laughs> it's cold and it's rainy and it's, like, I mean, it's beautiful. But it's, again, they're not the types of guys you think, oh, they're going to go out and, like, you know, traverse these uh, terrains that, you know, they'd rather just go to bars and, like, like I think Dom even says, like, you know, I wish going on a beer trail, like, just going mm-hmm. to pubs. Like, that's that's the extent of what he wants to do. And again, like, you know, it makes sense. And again, this film has a lot of weird parallels to me to, like, something like The Descent. I was just thinking that it would they would make a great double feature. Oh, 100%. Like, Draft House would be perfect for, like, a double feature of you have the female-centric and you have the male-centric. But they kind of, they do fit together in a sense that they're doing this for some reason. Like this mm-hmm. might be the last time and then shit happens, you know? And like, how do you, how do you escape that? Well, it is, it is. Yeah. You have a, a group of friends who come together for a, an excursion that is sort of like meant to work through or heal through a previous tragedy. Yes. Um, that excursion involves delving deep into nature to one degree or another and encountering some type of primordial force that has existed long before them. It will exist um, long after them too. And that will exist long after them. <laughs> and then the tensions that flare up when confronted with this, the difference being uh, the descent's ending is uh, bleak as hell. And yes. the ritual is like, you know, at least, Hopefully. at least, uh, yeah, Luke. Luke survives, and uh, I mean nobody else does. But you do get at least get the sense of him, you know, kind of being mature to a certain extent, or recognizing that there that that living is itself the something best. that is yeah yeah striving for. What? What again? I, I always joke about films like that where you know Luke escapes, he gets away, but then I always like want to have like a little like title card at the end, like saying. Luke was arrested for the murders of his three friends because like when they, when, if he could take this, like the police there, what are they going to see? They're going to see mutilated bodies, but nothing else. They're not going to find the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the ancient deity of Loki, like one of Loki's supposed children. Mm-hmm. Like I've always laughed about that. Like any film like that, where one survivor comes out, how do you explain that oh i i survived you know i I actually think the the despairing element would be what they wouldn't find anything because there'd be no way he could get them back to where they were that's a good no no you're right it'd almost be like well we can't really convict you because we can't find your friends because we can't it's like a maze in this woods even Mm -hmm. though he might have only ran half a mile it's you, you would think because because this deity can't escape this woods, it has its own form. It can continuously change this these woods to the to its liking. So yeah, if it doesn't want you to find it, you're not going to find what it what's been done there. And I kind of I kind of like that. But again, the joke is always like they were they were they were long. You know, they, the 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 survivor was uh, convicted of all the murders. <laughs> Sorry, like, but I didn't do it. Who did? Oh, a big uh, deer, moose deity. Okay, come with us. <laughs> You're going to jail for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly it, it probably there. There's not a a. There's probably not an actual happy ending at the end of all these things. I mean, a bunch of uh, friends and family right. are like, oh, your, your loved ones are dead now. And you're just going to have to take my story on what happened to them. But. It, and, but it does it does kind of add to that. I, I mean, you know, one of the things which is horrific about um, Lovecraft stories of that idea yeah. of like the vast expanse of the cosmos and how yes. not just insignificant we are, but like just what is out there. I was having a conversation with coworkers the other day about how to many of us, the ocean is so terrifying because it is this uh-huh. vast expanse of like what yeah. is out there. 
there are shots in this movie where they're looking at that in the forest and like it's oh. it's kind of equally terrifying in the sense of like this is such a, a vast expanse of nature what is out there kind of a thing no it's done so well like like rewatching it I'm, i was just kind of like focusing on those shots specifically and like when especially when like luke is looking through the woods and you just it's endless trees yeah and then you just see a glimpse of something mm-hmm. like what the hell is that cuz that's what again what this film does really well is the um just building upon this what is this what does this creature look like yeah and like you know when he, when luke wakes again what this film does also really well is like the whole these four guys and like i love when they find this little like cabin and it's already creepy to go into this cabin like cuz they see all these weird pictograms and like what the hell and like you know this weird saw like um you know made of saw like you know like straw creature and like mm-hmm. what the hell is going on here and then they go to sleep and each one of them have whatever nightmare they have yep. you know luke wakes up outside like at, you know he keeps seeing the same thing with his friend getting killed by the two junkies and like he could have stopped it but he can't and it's this endless loop of like you know i can't do anything but each one of them have a nightmare and like you know and it's horrifying because like but none of you know of course you know like dom doesn't want to admit like like no but then later on dom admits to what his nightmare was and it's like mm-hmm. it all equals to what you know it is and like it's done so well and like what i love about films like 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 a film like this it takes the whole idea of like the whole masculine idea of like oh we got to be tough but then they're pissing themselves. They're they're naked and crying. They're like screaming out for their loved ones, and it's it's you know what I mean. It's like something like that. It's like it's not done often, but when it's done, I respect it because it's like yeah, that's what real life is. Like you know, you're horrified. Like how are you gonna react? You're not gonna be like tough and like oh I'm gonna be badass. No, you're gonna cry. You're gonna be like whimpering. You're gonna be. Almost like I don't know. I don't know how to even react to like this nightmare. You know, like Luke gets like the imprint of like this, the antlers in his chest, and then later on we see what that even means. But like he has a physical rep- representation of the nightmare. Yeah, and also the idea that there are comments here and there when they just talk about they they have the wrong equipment for this, the wrong boots. You know, uh, this kind yes. of like it's it, it is that that yeah. There is kind of a a little bit of a breakdown of the manliness in the sense of like, well, no, you, you are not going to head out into nature and conquer it. In fact, you are going to head out in nature and be conquered by it. Right. Uh, and, and I, I do, I do kind of love that. And also you brought up a good point because I, one of the criticisms I had, which actually is, is false is I was kind of wondering the whole time as I was watching the movie, like, okay, yeah. the intense dreams that Luke is having, is that mostly coming or, or due to the, the, trauma that he went through or is it the woods the god the whatever kind of influencing him mm-hmm. um because i thought that was kind of unclear but you reminded me that yeah when dom admits he had a nightmare too it's like oh no 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 so it, it wasn't just the trauma it was this god or this atmosphere or whatever they're at it is playing on those fears it is yes. it is enhancing them because um, we see with dom like later on when he sees his wife grace mm-hmm. and it's like no it's, it's the, the deity thing, yeah. and it's like mm-hmm horrifying because when he realizes it like oh that's not her it's mm-hmm. just that total like letdown of like everything like i'm I, i'm dead like there's nothing i can do i my whole nightmare is actually true now this it's, is all lived kind, up to it as you know it's kind of a real fuck you from uh the Jotun or whatever or however you pronounce it right right because it, it sort of gives him hope right before the end of thing and then tears it away. So it's sort of like, oh, this is this is really despair. And it, it, it's a weird it's a weird what I I kind of like appreciate about this this weird deity, the Uten or whatever, yeah, like you said, like he just wants to be preyed upon. Like he wants to be worshipped. And I, I and I kind of like that whole thing with Luke where he's like pushing him down like you will bow to me. Mm-hmm. 
and he won't. Like he just keeps getting up, and like it's it, it's just funny. It, should, it, it almost shows how like ultimately, even though it, this is like some sort of godlike creature, how weak it actually is. Because mm-hmm. once it's like whole, like it's because again, like the when when Luke, like we're we're skipping around, but it's kind of like it is a kind of weird movie where everything kind of melds together when you have that weird you know congregation of like these husks of people worshiping which is a creepy seed and they're all alive still Mm -hmm. because what we get what we get from this idea is that they worship this thing and they live beyond their years but like do you want to live to be a husk in like just sitting in your seat for like millennia no Mm -hmm. that sounds awful but that's what they've chosen. And, like, when he burns the whole place down because, you know, again, Dom tells him, look, I know I'm – basically says, I know I'm fucked. <laughs> you need to get away. Like, you've mm. been marked by this thing, so you have a little bit of an extra chance to get away. Yeah, Do it, but burn this place down. And he does. And what I love about it is that the, this this creature is so pissed about that that then – it starts killing its own like worshipers because you didn't, you know, basically saying you didn't do what I asked you to do. But again, Luke is this last, like, I guess, source of like worship that it wants. Like, no, you will bow down to me. And he fights back. And, you know, ultimately that's actually what it does. And again, it's not one of those endings where like he kills the creature and runs away. He just injures it. And because of the outskirts of the the woods, he can't get him. It's just mm-hmm. like almost, but like, and again, why why this film works to me is like when Luke is just so just so destroyed and so relieved, he just starts like screaming back at the beast, and I love that. Like you know, it's because it's so visceral. It's so it's not quote unquote manly. It's not. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that actually works because what are you going to be like? It's not going to be like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Predator where he's like badass, like screaming back. No, it's going to be like you almost, he just wants to break down and cry because he's lost all his friends. That's, yeah. he's, he's, it's, he's the only survivor and somehow he survived this insane, you know, adventure. And what does he have to, what is that, you know, again, like you said earlier. He has his life to live, but is it worth it? Ultimately, is it worth living through all this? Or, you know, has he grown? I think he has because he ultimately, you know, understands what he's gone through and like, you know, the pain of his friend dying in front of him. I think he realizes there's nothing he could have done. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. Like, if he if he intervened, he would have been killed too. Because these junkies don't care. And that's a thing like I've seen and I've dealt with. I understand that. It's like, what do you do? You can't just easily go, no, I could have fought them off with this bottle of vodka. Yeah. No, no of course not. But like, again, it's easy for a, a friend to say, hey, uh, you should have done more. And like, yeah. no, it's maybe, but, or you would have two friends that you would have been uh, mourning. Yeah, and, and, and it, it, this is so – this is a reminder just how kind of smart this script is because it's sort of like um, – so the first one to get like really injured or hurt is Dom who yes. – Twists um, his ankle or his yeah, knee twist, actually. Twists his ankle and he's kind of like he's, – he's sort of like he's the, the one who is the least tolerant of nature of this – activity so you would tend to believe like okay so dom's gonna be the first one to go but no he's not the first one to actually go is hutch who is kind of the de facto leader of the group and then suddenly we're out with we're without leadership right so we're kind of on our own so the script the, the, the story really can't go backwards the people just kind of have to proceed forward and then phil who's kind of the innocent one the one who is contributing the least when it comes to the the tension and the the real antagonism he is gone, so now suddenly there's even more antagonism between Dom and Luke, who already don't like each other and who have said, like, no, we're not friends. Now they have to rely on each other, but they hate each other. So the way that the the emotions and the narrative really unfold in the script is just so 
it's so smart and it just kind of builds it builds tension and has a forward momentum until we eventually get to this point in which um we we find of learn the most we can about this thing that is hunting them this group that supports it and then we finally you know kind of have a full reveal of what this thing actually is which we have kind of just seen out of the side of our eye or like through trees or something it just this the story builds so well it's so effective yeah and like again the whole build-up of this reveal you know i'll i'll admit nine times out of ten when you ultimately see whatever creature this is a lot of times it it doesn't live up to it you know Mm -hmm. we've seen this many times where it's like oh that's the creature really that's what you're building up to this thing is so creepy and unlike what i've seen before in any type of film where yeah again it's like this weird moose deer creature but it also has human arms and like its eyes are just like in this weird black void in its face Mm -hmm. and like there's no face it's just which then it it takes the it takes whatever whatever it's hunting to weaken it to a point where it can get it. So again, yeah. it, it, it becomes grace in front of Dom. Who knows what it became in front of the others? But like you hear the horror afterward, you know, and like and like again, it's it's done so effectively well where it's just like this foreboding creepiness of like who's gonna survive? And like, you know, each one of them have seen some horrors. And again, we, you know, we hear about what Dom sees at the end. Like I saw all this, I saw these people, I saw the creature, I saw grace. And then, then there was nothing. And that's what happens. Yeah. You know, and we never see what the others, or we never hear what the others see. Like, like, Oh, I, I was down on my knees worshiping these things. Like, I don't even know why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, why was I doing that? Like I was mm-hmm. naked and like just crying and like, that's horrifying. Like, imagine like there's something forcing you to worship it, but you don't even know what the hell it is. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a compulsion that your own actions are outside of your own control and right. understanding is, is, is terrifying. Um, and I also, I, I love, I mean, we've touched upon it a bit, but just how this film is shot, especially in the early stages um, there are so many angles and mm-hmm. shots that imply that it's not just something out in the woods, but the woods itself, which are which are kind of conspiring against these guys. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of two shots, one that takes place in the day and one that takes place in the night. The daytime one is just, you can tell it's a wide angle or, or a, a, um, a long lens that is shooting through a bunch of trees um, so you basically kind of have, you know, a this pastiche and prison bar of all these different trees, and you see vaguely through a gap off in the distance that there's something moving. You're like, what the fuck could mm-hmm. that thing be? Until it gets closer and you realize, like, oh, those are the guys. Those are our characters who are just kind of walking closer to the lens. But there is kind of a few seconds where you're like, what is it? What am I looking at? There's a mystery to what could come out of or what could be revealed through this. And then another one... Uh, at night when they get to the cabin, the very first cabin where all, where they first have the weird psychological breakdown and see the the kind of wooden effigy that's up in up in the attic. Um, when Luke thinks that he hears something in the woods and he shines his flashlight, and the flashlight, what the flashlight and what the camera focuses on are the trees that are closest to us and not what's yeah. off in the distance. And there's really there are visual hurdles to seeing what's off in the distance. It's not just the darkness, but it, it's what is blocking our view, which makes it such an evocative image. And just this idea, once again, of we can't grasp what is just out there. And like, we really feel trapped and miss and, and, and get a sense of mystery. And it, it's so, it's so effective. And even the first time that we see the thing, when Luke sees it, when he thinks he gets up to the ledge and there's a clearing, it's not a clearing. It's just more woods. More woods. Yeah. And, and what he sees is just that hand at like an impossibly high distance, really like how, or, or impossibly high height. How could something be that far up? And even when it grabs Phil, we don't know that there's something there until it grabs him um, right. because of how it blends in with nature, how it is nature. Um, I was, I was reminded of, so I'm, 
I'm recently uh, I'm going through um, a Christmas gift that I got from my in-laws are uh, the Folio Book of Horror Stories. It's from this um, from this okay. wonderful literature company called the Folio Society, which basically just makes like the they are the Criterion Collection of books. Basically, okay. that's how I can cool. describe them. Um, and this and and one in here is a, is a story called um, uh, Ancient Lights, which is basically this guy is is he's a a prospector. He's going through the woods as a shortcut to try and find a client, but the way that he describes seeing things are he thinks he sees a person in the woods until he gets closer and realizes it's just it's just how there's been like a collection of branches and leaves basically that seem to from the distance resemble a person but it's really just nature itself wow. and i was reminded of that as i was watching this movie because you kind of get the sense of like is it trees or is it a thing well um, i mean i mean again when we, when you have this the straw person in the cabin it's mm-hmm. like like why why is that effigy even there but again that kind of works with that like it looks like a human without a head like it's just mm. arms and and you know this is what he's praying to it's like yeah okay this is weird it's like outside the norm but yeah i mean it's creepy as i mean again that's creepy as hell like it's the whole like again going back to the swedish hillbillies that what they worship it's you know Ultimately, it doesn't matter what they worship because it doesn't even respect them either. Mm-hmm. It's just like it just wants to be worshipped, but it doesn't care what it's worshipped by. And again, that kind of a you know kind of kind of fits into the whole Lovecraftian thing where you know when we've seen it, where Cthulhu, whoever, it doesn't matter if you worship it. It if it wants you dead, it's, it doesn't care. It doesn't care about you. Yeah, I yeah, because it, it. I mean, it does. Does it seem to have a concept of what worship is? Right. Certainly, because yes. you know it, it, it. But also, it doesn't seem to care where it comes from because yeah, like it. It kills uh, all of Luke's friends, but it also kills some of the cultists at the end as right. well. Right. So it's like you know, it, it doesn't really matter. It is beyond morality, or it is a. It is beyond um, you know theology or philosophy it just it exists as this this old primordial force that yeah it has existed before us and will probably exist after us yeah um and that that is that is the terrifying thing and also um so fun note ancient lights the short story was mm-hmm. written by a guy named algernon um algernon blackwood who um yeah just happened what? to be one of the biggest influences on the cthulhu mythos i, I was gonna say um, i know that name algernon blackwood holy shit yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he so he was a big influence on H.P. Lovecraft. So th- everything just comes back to these these Venn diagrams of, of overlapping white authors and their influence on each other, I suppose. <laughs> um, but uh, um, but yeah, and and certainly after Lovecraft died, I mean, he he had set up this this mythos, yes, but it was all kind of loosely connected. There wasn't really a you know an MCU ness to it um, until after his death. And August Derleth, who we've already kind of mentioned once again, August Derleth, uh, 2012 horror novel writer. Um, yeah, who wrote the ritual that the book that this movie is based on, but August Derleth kind of then kind of added sort of a structure along with some other writers after Lovecraft's death, including organizing kind of the old gods into sort of like elemental types. So Cthulhu and Dagon were sort of associated with water, whereas other ones were associated with fire and earth. And yeah. so with that kind of concept in mind, I'm sort of almost you know kind of thinking of we've you know we cover Lovecraft adaptations, we cover cover Lovecraft inspirations. I almost see this as kind of like a neo Lovecraftian film in the sense of if it follows the inspiration of kind of that second wave of Lovecraft stuff after he was, you know, gone where, uh, you know, maybe this thing, which th- this is actually um, the, the creature in this is actually based off like a real creature from Slavic folklore, right. uh, the Lecky. Right. So this, the, you know, its design wasn't invented for this movie. This was based on a, a pre-existing mythology, which I think is really cool for, for them, for Bruckner to do that. But what if this one was sort of like, you know, it's a, an old one or old God or one of the Lovecrafty things that is associated with like, you know, the earth as like its right. element sort of thing. So yeah, like, um, like almost like a demigod, you know, like a demigod of like, it's low, it's a lower God, but it's still yeah. powerful in what it does, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, is, is this the forest version of Cthulhu or the forest <laughs> version of Dagon or whatever? Th- those things that like, yeah, it's been it's been around for so long people assume it's a god and really it's just an ancient creature that's like i don't know i don't care who you are like i i'm just hungry kind of a thing right i just, i, I want to be worshipped and i want to like 
put you on a tree and like cut you open. That's 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 what I do. Yeah. And you worship um, me? Cool. It, like worship me all you want. That's I get power from that too, but I also get power from from killing things. And we see this even like when they discover like an old tent buried within the 1984, dirt. 1984, yeah. like a credit card that expired in 1984 and you go, "Oh, this has been going on for decades in this mm-hmm. in these woods." And funny enough it, rem- it reminds me of something like the Hills of Eyes slash Texas Chainsaw Massacre slash, you know, wrong turn films where how do you not notice this thing happening for decades, but it's in an area that is like without phones, without mm-hmm. technology. So it's outside of the perimeter of technology. So of course this shit has been happening. Like that's why you don't go over there. You don't go there <laughs> because you can't call somebody to help you out. Like, you know, you, it's, it's sad when it's like, oh, the path is just up the ridge. If we get up there, it'll be okay, but we're down here. We're not mm. even that far from, quote-unquote, society. But we're fucked because we're just like, I don't know, 100 feet away. And, mm. that, and, and, and to me, that's actually scarier. That, like, they're so close to being... But again, when, when Luke does, like, go up and it's just the same shit. It's like... It's just more trees. It's more yeah. trees. And, he, and that's when he screams out, fuck. And even later <laughs> on, when... when when the three, when it's just the three of them, and like Luke goes to the water and he's drinking the, the dirty water, but it's just refreshing because it's something fresh. And when he sees the path, the the footprints of this creature, these hoof prints, <clears throat> it's funny because you know I actually didn't realize it until watching it this time. If they went that way, they would have probably been safe mm-hmm. because the creature was when they were going up the ridge again, <laughs> and that tells you something like. It doesn't matter. They just keep making the wrong decisions. It doesn't matter where they're going because they're going to keep making the wrong decisions no matter where they go. And that's actually scarier. Question for you. Did you get the sense as you were watching this that it was just a bunch of guys lost in the woods or that the physical reality around them was being changed? I, you know what's funny? Like The first time I watched it, it felt like they just were making the wrong decisions. But watching it again and with this creature that can like change you know or mess with their minds i i felt like even though it's not really shown as much i really think that's what it was doing the whole time like even like when we see the ultimate you know escape of luke and he's trying to get away and you see the lights in the forest and he just keeps running and he gets hit by the creature it has this element of like it can screw with their minds and where are we going is it the and it feels like because you know, um, ultimately, like out of the you know out of the group of them, um, you know, I always like I, I said like I feel like um, what is his name? Uh, Hutch? Was it uh, was it Hutch? Yeah, Hutch. Okay, yeah. he was the more survivalist of of the group. Like he he was quote unquote more prepared. He had the compass, he mm. had the knife. You know, he had the map, and like he seemed to know a little bit more. But again, like you said he was the first to get killed off because the creature knew that. Oh, I got to kill him off because he knows a little bit more. Um, But they're not survivalists. They're not this group. And it, it, you know, it reminds me of one of my favorite, like guys lost in the woods type of film. You know, everyone always goes to deliverance of like, what do you do when you're, I always go to the film and it's lesser known called rituals rituals. With Hal Holbrook and okay. um, I, I, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's like, and again, it's like these guys, these weak, you know, as they call weekend warriors that go, mm-hmm. we're gonna go out and like be badass in the woods. But what happens when like there's like these people out there that can like kill you, like nothing? And what do you? Mm-hmm. How, how are you prepared? They're all they're all like physicians and like you know like they're not survivalists. <laughs> but and again. It, it, it comes with the whole like idea of like you you become more savage as it goes along, and that film deals with and, and it was a Canadian production and I feel like it's like it's not as known as Deliverance, but I think it's better because quote unquote you know Deliverance is a great film, but it's you know it's become um, 
quote unquote, you know, meme memeable with the whole like squeal like a pig and all yeah. that, you know, all that shit, even though it's it's more than that. I kind of hate that's what it's become. But at the same time, sadly, it's kind of like the same thing with Scarface with the whole say hello to my little friend. It's a better film than what the memeable memeable part of it is, but again, that's sadly what what our internet internet age is doing to a lot of films. But I, that's what I feel like. You know, it's the survivalist. But like, how how can you survive against like those films are surviving against like again rednecks, you know, weirdos in the woods. This is like you know Swedish hillbillies that worship some sort of like Loki deity. Like a, a mm-hmm. god of Loki, how can you how can you compete against that? You know, you, like it's something that's so out there. How do you do that? But again, yeah. we see what Luke has to go through. Like, and again, Luke is always trying to be a better person since what happened. Like, again, when Dom is getting tortured, he can't do anything. When Dom is getting about to be sacrificed, he breaks his thumb to get out, but. He, but what I love about it, it's not like he breaks his thumb, gets out, and he can get out. His other arm is, his other wrist is still tied. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. It's not like a lot of films you see, you'll see like, oh, I broke my thumb. Okay, the other one's easy. He can't get out still. Like, he's trying with his might. Like, I need to save my friend, but I can't. It's hopeless. I, okay. I know we said that this is kind of a hopeful ending as we've been talking i've been thinking about this i i don't think it is and here's why so luke survives this encounter at least yes but if you think about it his supplies are gone his food is gone his water is gone he's probably days away from a hike back to some type of civilization luke is probably going to die probably we don't know that but yeah it's kind of, we kind yeah. of had that feeling, yeah. Not only that, Luke is going to die, and this thing is still alive and out in the woods. And it will the, continue. The only thing Luke was able to control, or the only thing Luke really solved, was a hostile encounter with other people who were making victims of innocent people, which is what he didn't do in the beginning. Yes. So he kind of solves or or grapples with and conquers his own personal individual trauma, but Luke will not survive. He didn't do anything in the grand scheme of things to hurt or slow this thing down. All he really had control over was his own demons Right, he will die, and this thing will continue going on. So, like, is it a, is it a happy or hopeful ending? No, kind of, I mean, I he, mean, kind of because he's conquered his own demons, but he's gonna die. Yeah, he. I, I mean, the only thing that he can control that he can control is how people affect other people. Um, yeah, and so like you know, he overcame his own struggles, but in the grand scheme of things everything these people went through is probably going to happen again. It, it, the creature is going to find a new group to follow him or, yeah. you know what I mean? So these people that, that, that whole worshiping group is dead now, whatever. It'll yeah. find more because that's what it does. It, it's going to find like, it, you know, ultimately it was, it was hoping that Luke would be a new follower. That's why mm-hmm. he marked it. He, he marked it. And we see that, when the witch, you know, the, the female, the old female of the group comes and gives Luke water, but won't give mm-hmm. Dom water because yeah. you've been marked like me. We are all marked. So you're one of us now. And then the younger female tells Luke, you will bow down to it. It, it doesn't matter. And I kind of, I love that. I love that, you know, that whole sadness and like, because, you know, it doesn't seem like they're hap- like a happy group of, of worshippers. They're just doing it because that's all they've known to do. Well, yeah, it, it's like, it, they're, they're, they're doing it for their own survival, more right. so out of reverence or love. Which, which is, like, awful, but at the same time, isn't that what mankind does? We just try to survive day to day. 
mm-hmm. as as a species. Like all the fucking awful awfulness of the world, but we still try to survive. And like some of us are, you know, some of the world is easier to survive than other parts. But you look at other parts, like how the hell do they survive? But mm-hmm. they they have that 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 mentality of like, well, I need to, I need to survive. Yeah, you know, well, like, and, and it's it's an interesting idea of like the you know these these their worshippers like they're surviving but probably not living. I mean their their lives have become right. this thing. It, uh, it, yeah, it's a cycle of well, a new group that just came into our area. We need to either the creature's going to get them one by one, or the few that we get in touch with, we're going to knock out and like torture and see so who knows how many of the people that were within this worshiping group we don't see that of course but we're like hikers or you know that just said you know what i'd rather survive than get killed by this thing i'm okay with worshiping this whatever this creature is i'm i will bow down to it and like i'll live forever but what kind of life is that that you're living in the middle of the woods and just continuously going through the cycle again it kind of reminds me of you know like something like moorhead and benson you know like Mm -hmm. this whole mentality of just ongoing like the cycle it's like is it is it living if you know that it's just going to be the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's like worth living for like to me the surprise the um I guess you could say the the whole like you don't know what's going to happen is more living than like oh well we need to find some more bodies to like give to the the deity or we're not going to live ourselves like mm-hmm. is that really survival I don't know like I'm not sure like and again we don't know how long these these people have survived mm-hmm. I mean they kind of show like they all look kind of old and like a lot of them look old and decrepit so who knows it could be millennia we don't know i i don't i don't know if i've got much else to say on the ritual um i, I yeah like i said i think we talked pretty good yeah. yeah pretty good movie pretty good performances it, it just a, a really smart script supplemented by some really effective direction yeah i mean so yes that's that is that is um or that was um the ritual um you uh should certainly feel free to reach out to us if you have any comments questions or concerns you can email us at moviesofmadness at gmail.com james is wonka kills kids on twitter i am nolan fixes teeth together we are cast cthulhu you can also find us at cthulhu cast on facebook and you know um anywhere you can find uh your favorite podcast or where you can find us but most directly, all of our episodes can be found at castofcthulhu.podbean.com. Um, unlike our usual laissez-faire attitude, I guess, we do have a plan uh, for September. Uh, so no, you know what episodes to look forward to. We're going to bring back a um, friend of the show, Jessica Scott, who you may remember her from last summer. We brought her on to talk about the Beach House, um, you know, 2021. So it's been a long time. We're going to get her back on to discuss the um, Shutter exclusive glorious yes uh which um we're we're excited about it has a tentacle on the poster so i'm sure it, it's got everything to do with <laughs> i know i mean um, but i've heard good things so maybe it's one of the better tentacle movies you know uh, we'll we'll see um and then also um our friends from across the pond um the insmith book club who we have been a guest on their podcast yes. they have not yet come on but we have uh joined them to talk about oh uh, we've joined them a couple times to just yeah. talk about like the background of Lovecraft. Um, we had an episode where we specifically talked about the thing um, as a Lovecraft inspiration, but we're going to come, uh, we're going to bring them on to, to just chat about horror literature in general. So some Lovecraftian stuff, but also just some, you know, uh, books. We don't talk about books a lot specifically on the show. So I wanted right. to get them on to, you know, talk about, especially with Halloween just around the corner. If you're looking for something spooky to read, I figure uh, it's good to kind of bring them on. And also, you know, British accents just class up this oh, joint. I think. Always like, like the, and those, and those, those guys are like fu- a fun, a fun, you know, discussion, no matter what. Yeah. So, um, good time. So that's, that's what we're doing for September. Um, so we're excited for that. So, um, yeah, thanks for, uh, tuning in to, uh, to hear us talk about the ritual. Be sure to tune in next time. We'll be talking with Jessica Scott about glorious 
In the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Rilia.